All right. Second lesson is entitled Rightly Dividing the Word. If you were here either last Sunday or the preceding week, two weeks ago we looked at a general introduction to the Bible and talked about how the Bible is a phenomenal book. It is an amazing book when we look at it in terms of what it contains as well as how God was able to get it to us. And now that we've got that great book, we want to talk about dividing it. There are some divisions in the Bible, and this is one of the things that uh, is covered in this lesson. Now, it may seem old hat to us. You might think, well, we know all about the division of the Bible. Well, throughout times, there, uh, throughout time, there have been many people who didn't have that fundamental knowledge. In fact, there's still some people today. You'll find sometimes some preachers, um, largely outside the church, that do not know some of the basic divisions concerning the Bible. If you have something that requires an understanding of how it's divided up, how it's laid out, and you lack that understanding, it's probably not going to go very well as you deal with it or as you try to put things together. So uh, this is fundamental. Uh, I can tell you that about 200 years ago, back in 1816, anybody know who Alexander Campbell was? Okay, a few people. He was one of the fellows, not by uh, the only means, uh, but he was one of the fellows who was talking, preaching, and encouraging people to go back to the Bible. Uh, back in 1816, Campbell had, and you can find this online, Campbell had what was referred to as a famous sermon on the law. And this was eye-opening for people at the time. Uh, you can, If you pull it up online, you'll see that it's about 17 pages in length, which I think is a lot of, you know, for just that one topic, I mean, we can probably cover that in five minutes today, the difference between the old and the new. But um, for those people, they just apparently sat mesmerized. Uh, wow, you know, the Old Testament is old and the New Testament is new. That would seem to be a pretty fundamental point. But those in Campbell's day, they had not figured this out when I was first interested in Christianity. This was another thing that just didn't dawn on me either. I mean, you should say, well, the old is the old. It's something that we're no longer under today. The new is the new, and that's the one that we need to follow. But this has been, even today, uh, something that a lot of people still do not get. He starts there just under the subtitle, uh, rightly dividing the word lesson two, with a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 15 in that chapter says, Study. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then goes on to say in this lesson we want to uh, rightly divide the Bible in order to know how to better use it. Well, that's true. Uh, there are some things about this passage, though, that I do want to point out. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And the first word uh, is the word that's translated study. This term is used some other times in the New Testament. We want to look at a few of those times. We're not going to run all the references, but here are some of the places where we find it. Let's get some helpers lined up for Galatians, Ephesians, and 2 Timothy. Galatians 2.10. Who wants to... Okay, Steve will head over there. Galatians 2, verse 10. And then we'll take a look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 3. Who wants to... All right. Lois will take care of that. And then from 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Bonnie will take care of that. All right, Steve, if you're ready, let's look at Galatians 2, verse 10. Only they would that we should remember the poor, which very thing I was also zealous to do. Okay, now, you might not immediately suspect that it's the same word, but that word that's translated zealous in Galatians 2, 10, it's the same word that's translated study over here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Now, somebody says, uh, let's go study tonight, high school kid. What do they mean by that, maybe? Let's go read snacks and watch TV and spend 10 minutes hitting the books. So, sometimes that word study in our culture doesn't mean study. But when you know that that same word is used in Galatians 2 verse 10, and there is translated zealous, what's that tell you about the study? 
it's important, and this isn't something that we just, you know, kind of, uh, you know, rifle through a few pages and say, well, you know, okay, that's kind of an interesting verse. God has a lot more uh, intended for us, a lot more desired for us, if you will, when it comes to setting His Word. Ephesians 4, verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, now, here again, it's the same word, but you see it rendered in, in a different way. Uh, it's one thing to be zealous, but now... What do you think that key word is from Ephesians 4.3? Be diligent. What words or what ideas would you associate with diligence? It's a routine. All right, that's going to be one great point that we would take out from that. It's going to be a routine. This is a, a part of life that is an integral part of who we are. It's something that we do on a regular basis. What else? Discipline. All right, there's going to be some discipline. Uh, there are probably going to be some days where we don't feel so well or some days where we've got a lot of other things going on, distractions. So we make sure that we, we get into that habit and we've got the discipline to make sure that that is a priority in life. What else? Be diligent. Yeah, yeah. Get All right. into it. Right. If you look at it from an intelligence standpoint, we want the people who protect us to be, dil- uh, to be diligent. And that is you have the discipline, you're doing that on a regular basis, but you just don't say, well, you know, we don't have to dig into that. You make sure that you check that out and you are thorough as you deal with this. Companies by another company, they yes. do, do, do diligence, which means they look at everything. Yes, and you want, yeah, that's right. And even with the house, you ask the title company, you know, you pay for the title insurance, and they'll go back and they'll research the title. They're doing the due diligence because you don't want to buy that house, and you've wrapped up several, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, and you find that lo and behold, it's got a bad title, and then you know somebody comes along and says, "Well, your house is is my, is my house. Get out." Uh, so we understand that due diligence, and God says you use that same kind of thing with my word. Second Timothy four verse nine, same word. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Okay, we can understand that. I think the other two illustrations are helpful: Galatians uh, two and Ephesians chapter four verse three. But are there not some times where we say to a person, "Give your best effort to come to me"? I mean, if there is an emergency or we really need help, you know, Teresa called this morning. She said, "Come." She needed some help with what she was doing. Hot pan, trying to get it in a box, and she said, come quick. (laughs) Well, on the floors that we have, I may not come quickly, but I come as fast as I can, otherwise I'm probably going to bust a leg. But, uh, you know, there's some people who say, we need you. We need you now. So when it comes to God's word, just that first word, study, there is a lot packed into that term. Then there are some other things that stand out here. Study to show who? Myself. A lot of times people say, well, you know, a preacher needs to know the Bible. Well, that's true. Elders need to know the Bible. Parents need to know the Bible. All that's true. But you study for yourself to make sure that you really are headed in the right way. And that's also helpful. Uh, We've encouraged that here over the years. Uh, There are times, um, you know, where I will um, get something wrong. Uh, Maybe that was a mistake in the notes. Maybe I didn't study out something correctly. Maybe I reversed a passage. Uh, So try to keep errors to a minimum. Uh, there may be some perfect preachers out there, but I definitely am not uh, him. So, study yourself so that you can be approved unto God. That word that's translated approved has a sense of tried. Uh, Virginia, I'm sorry, I missed your hand. Do you have any more to say? Sure. Sure. Anybody else? I've uh, got some extras up here. Anybody else need a like, copy lesson too, what we're going through now? Okay. Um, Bonnie, I think we've got somebody that needs some help in the foyer. Could you take care of that? Thank you. 
Okay, um, approved unto God. That word has a sense of tried, checked out. Once again, can you think of anything that would illustrate that? You've, you've checked it out. You've tried it. You've approved it. You've evaluated it and said, this is good. Well, do we see that in the factory? Things are tried. Things are checked out. Things are approved. And now this can go into service. This is now suitable for manufacturing. This is going to work out for us. And that's what God says. You want to be approved. You want to be tried. You want to be checked out in God's sight. And we're not going to get it right all the time. Uh, I know that over the years, if I think most preachers are honest, they will tell you that they probably changed their views on some passages. They looked at some things and come to some different conclusions. But, um, that's a part of handling the Alright, as we continue our study of that first passage, 2 Timothy 2.15 at the top of the page, he also says we want to be, when it comes to God and His Word, a workman. What does that mean? What do you think of when you think of a workman? Alright, we're thinking of labor. We're thinking of putting some effort into it, aren't we? All right, that certainly is going to be a part of that. If you have a workman that comes out and he doesn't care about, you know, um, the things around your house, you know, banging the furniture and, uh, you know, knocks a big hole in the wall, he should be concentrating on what he's doing and taking great care with that. So God says, when it comes to my word, treat it in such a way where it's work. It's a different kind of work. Uh, probably not going to build up much literal sweat from that, but God says you do that. Uh, there have been some preachers over the years, and not too many that I've known, uh, but there have been some. You know, Ray's been around long enough, and um, you know maybe some other Stan's been around long enough. Uh, where you find a guy, he's got two years of sermons, and he comes to town and he preaches those two years of sermons, and then he's ready to find another congregation to go and work with. Uh, well, he's on the wrong track. Uh, you may not be able, the mind may not be as sharp in the later years as it was, but still, there needs to be that desire to study. If you're working a second job, as some guys uh, have done, even in the first century, your study time may not be as great as some others, but the time that you do have, the opportunities that you have, they do need to be used in the fullest possible sense. Anything that you want to address before we make a couple of the points, Dan? If I could back up to this word approved, you used the example on the manufacturing floor. Manufacturers have a term that's probably almost everybody in here would recognize called zero defects. And they're striving to be yep. sure that something is not in air that's going to cause a problem. And that brings to mind the scripture about the Brians who studied to um, delve into the word to, in order to, to see whether somebody else had introduced some defect or something that wasn't appropriate. And that's Part of what he's talking about here also. Yeah, Acts 17.11, now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word of all readiness of mind, examining the scriptures daily whether these things were so. First John 4, verse 1, test the spirits, many faults, you know, prophets have gone out there into the world, so test the spirits to make sure that they are from God and so forth. So you do have all of that, and that is our goal, uh, zero defects. We're probably not going to achieve that. That's one of the nice things about Bible class where some things can kind of be, uh, you know, tossed around and, and people can look at some things maybe in a different way or um, you know some views that may have been wrong in the past may have um, you know been changed because of a class those kinds of things but that is our job to make sure that we are as accurate with the Bible as we possibly can be in addition to what he goes on to say there and that second line he says a workman that needs not to be ashamed there should be no guilt uh, if we're teaching the truth then there shouldn't be any guilt there shouldn't be any shame associated with that there are going to be some lessons personally, 
and publicly that are going to be more difficult maybe to receive and consider than others. Uh, but at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we've, we've done the best job that we can and we're not looking back on that and say we, we were sloppy with God's word. And then he says we want to um, rightfully divide the word of truth. And I believe that's the King James translation. Um, when we talk about handling the word of God correctly, this part of the verse is a good illustration for that. For many years, and even now, some well-intentioned people have said, well, we need to rightly divide the word. Well, that's true. And after they make that statement, they would say, well, the Old Testament is different from the New. So we kind of, even though they're connected, we need to sort of, um, you know, almost slice them in half. And the Old Testament was for the Jews, the New Testament is for all people, and all that's true. But when he says rightfully divide, that's not really what he meant. The word rightfully divide, if you go back and look at that, especially in this passage, it means that we treat it truthfully. It means that we treat it competently. It means, as we've talked about before, we've studied things out and we're trying to do our best with the text. Now, if we're doing those things, are we going to make a determination that the Old Testament was for the Jews and it's old and the New Testament is for the... Yeah, that's rightly dividing the word, but the idea that it's just here saying, well, part of the Bible is uh, old and the other part of the Bible, the second half of the Bible is new, uh, that's the new, that's not really the point. You have to uh, expand that just a bit. Uh, yeah? Uh, the New American Standard used the term accurately Yes, there it is. Truthfulness, competence, accuracy, we're doing the very best that we can. Um, and people are going to have different levels of understanding. Some people are schooled in Hebrew, I'm not. Um, other people have, uh, you know, um, an in-depth knowledge of Greek, they can translate the Greek New Testament. Other people have a uh, more cursory knowledge uh, some people just like to look up words in the back of uh, Strong's Dictionary and so forth. But we want to study at the best level that we can and take advantage of the resources that we have. Uh, he says in this lesson, as we mentioned before, we're going to try to rightly divide God's word so that we can be the best users of it that we possibly can be. Anything that you want to add or ask before we start the main section? Okay. He says the divisions of the Bible. This is one of the things that a lot of people do not know. Uh, it's one of the things that as I study with people, I try to cover that. Maybe not the very first thing that's out of my mouth, but usually I don't try to wait too long before this information gets covered. Uh, some people do not know how many books are in the Bible. Uh, we accept 66 books as being inspired as part of God's Word. If you will remember in the classes that we talked about in the last two weeks, I said that there are the apocryphal books. If you look at, for example, a Catholic Bible, you will find that they have some extra books, if you will, in the back. Uh, two of those books that are better known would be First and Second Maccabees. Those are historical books. And somebody asked last week if we can find anything profitable in those books. Well, we can, because they do deal with some history. And, uh, you know, Ray had mentioned uh, some other sources after class last week that we can go back and look at. Somebody talked about Josephus last week. So those sources are not inspired, but they were sources that were writing during that period of time. And they can, uh, for example, Josephus, the destruction in Jerusalem, there are some things there that they can offer as far as historical de details that can be useful. But the Bible... We have 66 books. How many in the Old? Okay, very good. So that would leave how many in the New? We've got 27. So that is the basic division. He mentions the Old Testament expresses or explains God's relationship with man before the coming of Christ, and it does. It takes us from Genesis, the beginning of everything, up to Malachi, about 400 years before the time Jesus came into the world. The New Testament, of course, tells us about the life of Christ and how God deals with man today how he deals with people throughout the entire Christian era. It's important for us to realize that we've got to go to the New Testament 
rather than the old. If we want to find out how to become a Christian, how to worship, and how to serve God, um, all of those things. Uh, People will sometimes say, well, you don't believe the Bible because you're tossing out more than half of it. No. We've talked several times before about the Old Testament. Does it have a purpose? All right, Romans 15.4. The things written aforetime, that is the Old Testament. Paul said they were written for learning, that we can have um, hope and patience, so that we can get comfort to the Scriptures, those kinds of things. Um, how does the Old Testament help teach us if we're not under it as a law? All right, let's toss out some of those. What would some of those examples be? All right, we can learn some things about family relationships. Uh, there were people who made some good decisions about their kids, and sometimes you've got, you know, some great men, you know, uh, prophets of God, well-known servants uh, that didn't do so well. Um, so you can pretty much start with Abraham and just go through the, the list there. What else? Things that we learn. Okay. Righteous people are going to live in a wicked world. Uh, We're not taking from that account that we've got to build an ark. That's not God's plan for us today. Um, But the righteous people are going to be preserved, saved by God. The wicked people are going to be cut off. And the way that they're cut off, it's not going to be very pleasant. So, yes, Noah and the ark, many, many good illustrations there. We we can get a feel for God's God's feeling or attitude about certain things. And and the one thing that comes to my mind is that uh, and it's expressed in the Old Testament, but it's also brought out in, or in the New Testament, brought out in the Old Testament. God hates uh, divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Malachi specifically talked about that. You learn some things about sin in the Old Testament. You see things about God's holiness, what it means to be a child of God. You find examples of apostasy. So a lot of the New Testament concepts that we read about in things, they're, they're illustrated very, very well in the Old Testament. So it is a great introduction to God, who he is, what he expects of people, and then he says, here's my law for you to live under when it comes to the New Testament. So it is by no means a book that, or a section of the Bible, those 39 books that we want to discard. Um, and even, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, Paul said the things that happened to Israel happened for our learning. So that was apparently one of the things that was taught in the first century that would go back and pull out some of those um, Old Testament historical examples. Certainly Jesus did at times. Trace. Yeah, you can. Uh, you think of, for example, about David, the time that he had the opportunity to kill Saul. And he asked, am I going to kill God's anointed? Uh, you find there a desire, if you will, on the part of some to engage in government rebellion. You could make that point from there. Uh, and then the ability for people to overcome that kind of thing. So uh, just just a ton of great lessons. Bonnie? Uh, in that we can also learn about God's patience with yes. us, how we can fall and you know, like look at the Israelites, how many times you know, God leading them out of bondage, and yeah. how many times did they slide back and all the idols and all that. Yeah, God reminded them, you know, the miracles that you saw in Egypt, and yet that still wasn't quite enough for them to decide to always be faithful. Then you've got the time of the judges as well. It's just that up and down, that uh, cycle of, uh, you know, sin and crying out and deliverance and so forth. Uh, so, yes, just a ton of great information.
Yes, and that was in you know Deuteronomy six four. Here, Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Um, so, and for the people of that day and time, that was a key message because they lived in a time where there were a lot of pagan gods, many different deities, and that was a, a great point that had to be introduced to the world. And today, that's still important for us. We've got a world which is filled with pagan deities, and we we can extract a great point from that. Don, uh, we talk a lot about free will. Today. Mm-hmm. We have free will today. Hard to understand that they did have free will, but they did. Yeah. Like Bonnie was saying, and the Jews fell back numerous times. Well, Joshua, you know, kind of comes up to the you know uh, end of life and says, "Choose you this day who you're going to serve." You know, me and my house, we've decided to serve the Lord, and you can go over and serve the other gods if you so choose. But uh, you need to make a decision, and and which way you're going to go. So yes, uh, major major points about God, major points about people. So it really is an important part of the Bible. Yeah. Well, it also tells us a lot about ourselves mm-hmm. in, in the Old Testament. Well, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, God was disturbed with the Israelites and he said, this is a stiff-necked people. And if we're truthful about ourselves, we'll look at that, we'll look at the Old Testament and say, you know, wow, I could see a lot of that either in myself or in those that are around me. Yeah. people sometimes leave you just scratching your head you know you're wondering what they're thinking especially after they have been helped and um, you know maybe received aid from God and people can sometimes turn on a dime and the Israelites did you know God has provided for them you know well you know we you know, manna where we're going to drink and you know we're lacking flesh and God sends in the quail and so forth um, you know people even you know even with kids you know, parents can do this, that, and the other thing for the kids, and then the first time the child doesn't get what he or she wants, you're the worst parents ever. And we look at that child and we say, well, how can you be so ungrateful? You know, we have provided you food, clothing, shelter, we've taken you to the baseball games, and we've taken you to the school functions, and we've done this, 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 and this, and how can you possibly look at us and say something bad? Well, that's kind of the pot calling the kettle black. Because it is adults. People have been doing that kind of thing for a long, long time. So it is really a good commentary on man and the Bible. All right, going back to that uh, first section, Divisions of the Bible, page one. He mentions, um, as we talked about a moment ago, the Old Testament explains God's relationship with man before the coming of Christ. New Testament shifts attention. It tells us about the life of Christ. Uh, Old Testament is saying the Lord's going to come. A lot of figures, uh, sometimes that's semi-direct when you look at passages like Isaiah chapter 53, Zechariah has some information about that, uh, and so forth. Uh, you know, Moses in saying there's going to be somebody like me. But there were a lot of types and shadows in the Old Testament. Uh, New, New Testament shows up, that time period comes, the Lord comes into the world, John the Baptist announces him, and then all of a sudden things that were foretold in the Old Testament uh, start to happen in fairly rapid-fire order. The New Testament also tells us about how God deals with us today, what we need to do. And as we mentioned, if we want to follow God, the plan is to um, use that New Testament arrangement. Uh, A couple things here. I'm just going to pause for a second before we pick up with that next paragraph. One of the illustrations, this is, is something that didn't originate with me, but it's probably the best one that I've ever heard, and it came from one of my teachers um, way back when. And he compared, if you're dealing with an adult, he compared the Old Testament and the New to a driver's license situation. And uh, he 
tested out his stuff that he used. He was sending out some preacher students in the community and said, let's use this. And then they went out and used it and then came back and gave him feedback. So I like that approach and uh, have, have benefited from many of the things that he taught. But he said, imagine Grandpa, you know, 35, 40 years ago, 70 years ago, decides to get his driver's license. Goes in for the driver's license, and the examiner says, 50 cents in an eye test. So, pops down two quarters, eye test, here's your driver's license. Well, did Grandpa get his driver's license? 50 cents in an eye test, and he did get it. Today, you go down to the driver's license clinic, and you say, I want a driver's license. Here are my two quarters, and here's my eye test. I passed. I want my driver's license. That's not the rule anymore. Well, yeah. They, but you say, well, Grandpa got it for that. Look, I've got his picture. Here's the bill, 50 cents in an eye test. I so want... It's just why they come up with grandfathering in. Yes. Maybe. The law, as Steve rightly said, has changed. It did work for him. It's not going to work for you. Well, people can understand that. And that is an illustration that I have used literally around the world. And I have yet to find somebody that doesn't grasp it. Last year when we were in Tennessee, not I was just going along for the ride, if you will, but sent in law with some other Christians there in Memphis, they go out to kind of a group home. And there are some young kids out there, they want to learn a little bit about the Bible. So I went along for the ride. And afterwards, they had kind of a breakout session. One of the kids came up and decided to engage me in a conversation. And that was kind of where things started and ended. He had some interest in the Old Testament and the New. You know, Bible's a big book, and, you know, how, how do we kind of sort it out? So even at a young age. And... When you're 12, a driver's license illustration probably isn't going to work out very well. But I thought a candy illustration would. So I said, what's your favorite candy bar? Oh, Reese's Pieces. I said, you get that? No, I don't get that very often in here. I said, hmm. I said, uh, well, you know, way back when, probably Grandpa could buy those for probably 10 cents a piece. Yeah, that's probably right. I said, suppose you took your dime down to the grocery store today and wanted that. Oh, that's not going to work. That's going to cost me a dollar. I said, well, you're probably right. But what if you said to the clerk, Grandpa bought it for 10 cents? Well, no, that was the price way back when. Now it's a new price. Well, that's, and that's the difference between the old and the new. And for him, that clicked. So if you are ever in a situation where you need to explain the Old Testament and the new to somebody, that is a good illustration. It's, like I say, it's worked for me. A biblical illustration, and this again goes back many years for me, but I like this one from Romans 7. I'm not going to draw it out, but I think we can just verbally understand it. Over to preacher's house, and being a, Teresa and I were young Christians, and I went over. I had just written out probably two or three pages of questions that I wanted to ask this guy. It was kind of put, you know, put the preacher on the hot seat. Uh, now that I'm on the hot seat, it's a little different, but uh, I didn't mind putting him on the hot seat. And I asked him about the Old and the New Testament. How could we explain that to somebody? And he said, Well, let's turn over here to Romans 7. And he's the only guy that I've ever had do this for me. Romans 7, verse 1. He laid it out very well. He said, Are you ignorant, brethren? For I speak unto men who know the law. Well, if you were somebody who lived in Roman culture, just like American culture, would you be familiar with law? We are. I mean, we've got law all around us. Uh, there are laws that used to regulate Sunday, what you could and couldn't do. There are laws that regulate speed. There are laws that regulate things in our neighborhoods. You can burn in this area. You can't burn uh, if you're inside the city and so forth. So, yeah, okay, we're just like the Romans. We understand that. And then he makes this point. He says the law has dominion or power over a man for how long? All right, so as long as you're alive, the American government has power over you. But once you die, they can tax your estate, and they might determine where they're going to put your body, but you, you don't have any more power as far as American authority 
government authority ruling over you. And then he says, let's take that information and let's build on it. Verse 2, he says, for the woman that has a husband. What's it say about that? All right, here's a man, here's a woman, and, and he says you get married and you're bound. That law joins you together. But if you have these two and one dies, then what happens? You're released from it. Well, that's not difficult for us. Uh, it's kind of like a job. You know, if you're bound to that job, then you have some rules that you need to follow. But if you leave that job, if you're fired from that job, then uh, that changes some things. And then he says this, verse 3, So then, based on this information, if while the husband lives, she's joined to another man, is there a problem? Yeah. So here's, let's use a songbook, sir. Songbooks and Bible. Alright, two folks. You get married, you're bound together. One dies. You're free. Unbound. Okay, but he says, now, let's take that information. We've got our two folks bound together. And now we have a third one coming into the relationship. Problem? Yeah, I can't have that. that. That's illegal. And then Paul goes on to say, look at verse 4. Here's where he joins it together. Wherefore, here's a conclusion, my brethren. Ye also were made dead to what? The law. So Paul says, here were some people, talking about the Jewish people. Here was you, here was the law of God. What happened? You were joined together. And when Christ died, and that Old Testament law was taken away, what happened? You lost him, the old, and you were joined to the... No. Well, that makes sense. You, you, you've switched laws. But remember that marriage illustration? Paul says, here you are. You're joined to the Old Testament. And yet, like a woman or a man that would go out and do what thing? They would... Well, not just again, but they would add that, that second partner. Now you've got three things joined together and that can't be. And that's his illustration. Old Testament, New Testament... And the believer. Can you be joined to those two laws? No. Just like a woman cannot be joined to two men. And that makes all the sense in the world. So if you walk people through that, maybe uh, grab a piece of paper and diagram that. I've done that. Again, in this country and elsewhere, I have not had a single person fail to see and they conclude, well, yes. And then the question comes up, well, what about the Old Testament? Are you saying that it's useless? No. But it's not the law that we're under. That is simply... Um, a law system that was for other people it's been taken out of the way and there are things Noah and Moses and family relationships and so forth there are things that we can use as far as principles and illustrations to learn about Stan said uh, and some others you know family relationships and, and, and those kinds of things alright thoughts that you want to address before we look at the next section Yes. People usually want at least a general understanding of something. They may not need all the nitty-gritty. Um, so you have there in that basic information, God exists. He's timeless. He created man. Man fell. There was a need for God to, you know, if he really wanted to love man and help man, to fix that up. So that platform is there. 
that the Bible, it's just like building a house. We've got the foundation there, and you know, he kind of framed things up and said, we're going to get to the um, you know, inside details and put the siding on and, and get the roof on, those kinds of things. But you're right, it's a, it's a very logical, very sequential book when you begin to divide it in the right way. Sam? The, the example you used of the marriage and the person uh, being free from the first spouse, whichever, that passes away, it's a, it's a little bit different with the Old and the New Testament. I think Paul addressed that when he started talking to the Jews that wanted to go back to the old law. He's, in, in that case, essentially, uh, it was, okay, the, the old law is dead, but I don't want to say there was still access to it, I guess, and they wanted that access, and he said, no, you can't do that. You have now a new spouse, and that's what you're to adhere to. They could still do some things like circumcision. And for a while, the temple was surely something that they could point to and say, well, we can still go down and worship there. But God, as you, you're reading between the lines a little bit there, but when you see that desire in the New Testament, when you look at what happened in 7 AD where God brought in the Romans and, and destroyed everything, uh, it sure seems like God was saying, if you had any hopes of going back to Judaism, I'm just going to take... It was kind of... It wasn't it Napoleon. Um, he brought his... Um, Soldiers to an area, you know, brought in by ship, and then had the guys go up and look on the um, cliff down at the ships below. You're good history buff, maybe you remember that, maybe not. And they, they uh, lit the ships up and burned them, and it was kind of like, well, okay, guys, you're not going back that way. So you either go forward, or there's really no place to go. And that was kind of what God did. I mean, He just burned it down to the ground. Did you raise a hand? I to make a comment. For me, if I, somebody told me to go and build an engine, I know that the engines are out there, but I wouldn't have any knowledge of how to do that. So I would have to go back to some kind of foundation way back a long time ago when engines were first started and figure out how to put that engine together and make so yeah, just to cut it off and say, let's just study the New Testament from here on. Uh, and when we sit down and study with somebody, that's all we study. They don't have that foundation. Right. And and People don't even have a good foundation when it comes to the New Testament now. So you're sitting down and you really have some difficulty. So this lesson, it was designed in such a way, there's a lot more that can be said about any of these lessons. Um, but it's a way of trying to bring people to a fundamental understanding to say the Bible is connected, it's a big book, and, and here are the big chunks. And if you want to study some more about that, we can, but at least because if they, they can't get that, they're just not going to do very well with the rest of it. But you're right. Glenda? I'm finding more and more that the people who really have some Bible knowledge are the people who are incarcerated. And my, no, I kid you not. And are incarcerated in jail or prison. And my thinking based on that is that, number one, they're in a place where they are looking for something to discuss. You've got a lot of people with a little information here, a little information here, and they kind of put that together. And then, two, aside from you know sleeping, watching TV, or maybe devising an evil scheme, um, they, well, I mean, that's true. But you do have some people probably trying to spend some time reading the Bible. So 
and, and that's sad when your most literate people, percentage-wise, are incarcerated than the people out roaming the streets. But that's, that's what we're getting to as far as a country, and it's really sad. Okay, let's, just before the Old Testament books, he talks about Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus mentions three divisions of the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, and we can divide the Bible up in a lot of different ways. I would not say that one way is the only way or really the right way, but there are several ways, uh, and whichever breakdown helps us and others, that's probably a good one to use. It uh, can also be broken down into these divisions, the Law, Jewish History, Poetry, Major Prophets, and Minor Prophets. Then a basic division for the New Testament, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, History. That, of course, would be Acts, the Letters of Paul, the General Epistles, and then Prophecy. Uh, prophecy, of course, would be Revelation. And if you will remember how we went through that class, we talked about Revelation. really seems to be a description of what we find in the first 26 books of the New Testament, not prophecy in the sense that people often refer to it, that being uh, you have a lot of information about the end of the world. Old Testament books. First five books are basically law books. Sometimes they are referred to as the Pentateuch. Uh, you know, Penta five. The Jews call them the Torah, uh, written by Moses. They give us, as we talked about, the um, early years of man's history. Genesis is going to give us the story about the beginning. There is the all-powerful, eternal God. He created everything. Man fell. The flood came because the world's got the world got so bad. Then we get into the patriarchal age. This was the period from creation to the giving of Moses' law. Uh, he says there was no written divine law. Now, there was law, but as far as written divine law, we, we just don't have any record of that. Uh, but God was communicating directly. Uh, you may remember from Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about you know God created with, uh, talked to people in dreams and visions and so forth when it came to the Father. So there was communication from God. There were rules, uh, but we now are under the period where we've got uh, divine law written and not that kind of communication as far as that direct supernatural information. It's called the patriarchal dispensation because the father of the patriarch provided the spiritual leadership. You see that with people like Abraham as well as Job. And after Moses' law was given, there was that organized system of religion and worship on a national scale for the Jewish people. We're going through on Sunday nights, typically the uh, book of Exodus. There, of course, God's people had been in um, bondage for uh, four centuries. And now finally the time came for them to be delivered. Uh, they end up out in the wilderness. There's some disobedience out there. They wander for 40 years. Uh, then you come to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy, of course, is the uh, second law, the second reading of the law, if you will, or repetition of that information. And you have some additional information out there. Next page, turning over there, the law of Moses applied to the Jews. It was never intended for Christians. Uh, things like the Sabbath day, never intended for you know, all people and certainly never intended for all time. Uh, the Old Testament is gone. Jesus brought it to an end when he died on the cross, and we talked about that from Romans 7. Then we have 12 books of history. He lays them out towards the end of this paragraph, and that history talks about the Jewish nation. Uh, it did become a great nation. They sin, and you have throughout the Old Testament that cycle of people doing well at periods of time, people not doing well, You've got the history. Uh, Israel, of course, was divided under uh, Saul, David, and Solomon. Uh, it was united under Saul, David, and Solomon. Each of those kings reigned for 40 years. Then after, king, uh, after Solomon, the kingdom splits. You've got the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. They go into captivity. Uh, the northern kingdom goes into Assyrian captivity. southern kingdom goes into Babylon, uh, Babylonian captivity. And God uh, did a, a lot of good stuff throughout the south. Um, the books, as far as the division he mentioned, the 12 books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, both uh, of those books have uh, two books, a separation, first and second. 
First and Second Chronicles, also two books there, Ezra and Nehemiah, Esther, and we don't know uh, with some of the books who the authors were. Then you have the poetry books, the wisdom books. A lot of people like these books uh, in the original text. And again, this is a little bit uh, beyond me because I just uh, never studied Hebrew. But there is a lot of poetic information there that has been lost in translation. But still, people like these books. Uh, Job, people have often turned to that for suffering. Psalms, the same kind of thing. People want to look at that and find comfort there. Uh, You do have Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, a lot of wisdom, great insights there. Song of Solomon, uh, that's a book that a lot of people don't talk about, don't study about. Some have tried to make the book uh, refer to Christ and the church, um, which I think they just weren't comfortable with some of the things that talked about married life. Um, But that is my view that he was talking about an actual relationship uh, with his wife. Uh, Probably the best-known piece of writing comes from the Psalms, Psalm 23, and just a, a rich, rich part of the Bible. Then you have the prophetic books, the major and minor prophets. Uh, major prophet, how did he differ from a minor prophet? God liked him better? Longer All right, longer books. Major in the sense that it's bigger, minor in the sense that uh, just a uh, very limited amount of information compared to the others. Jeremiah, uh, the weeping prophet, uh, again, just terrific information. You have their lamentations, uh, Jeremiah, major prophecies written by uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, minor prophets being Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Um, Isaiah had obviously a lot of messianic prophecy about 700 years before Jesus came into the world. Zechariah has a lot of prophecy uh, as well. Uh, Some of the information is hard to um, understand, but uh, that doesn't mean that it, it is impossible. Then you come to Malachi, that's the end of the Old Testament. Then you come to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, written by the names of the books, and they tell about Jesus' life. Acts, of course, uh, is going to be a book about the church. We start reading about the gospel. That word means good news. And then these fellows, as the book of Acts progresses, they begin to tell the story of Christ, how that was taken into the world, how it was shared, how the church began to worship, how people became Christians, um, a lot of information about conversions. So God gave his plan. Jesus came into the world, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts tells us that um, the gospel went out into the world, and then you have Christians being told how to live in those next 21 books. I'd actually say the next, uh, all, all the books of the New Testament, uh, actually 22, because of what we studied from the book of Revelation. He divides them a little further. The first 14, when you start with Romans, uh, attributed by Paul, gives you the list there. Then we've got some other writers. Uh, Hebrews, we're not quite sure who wrote that. Different ideas have been Put forth some think Paul wrote it, others have suggested Apollos, and and uh, some even think that a woman wrote it. But uh, it is an inspired book; we accept it that way. Then you have the seven letters, which are often called the general epistles, to distinguish them from the writings of Paul, James, uh, Peter wrote two books: John, First, Second, Third John, and Jude. Revelation. We've talked about that extensively from the uh, recent class there, and then we've got the Bible divided into proper divisions: uh, Old Testament or New Book, Genesis, James. Acts, Isaiah, Revelation, Ezra, John, Psalms, Malachi, Titus, Judges, Romans, Matthew, John, Job. All right, first four books, what are they? All right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The last book of the Bible is Revelation. What do we have? Three books written by Solomon. They were... All right, Proverbs, Song of Solomon... Ecclesiastes, five major divisions in the Old Testament. Law, Jewish history, 
Poetry, major prophets, minor prophets. Five major divisions of the New Testament. Gospels, history, Paul's letters, general epistles, prophecy. Five books written by Moses called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Number of books attributed to Paul. Okay, book of Acts called the book of conversions. All right, yes or no? Are we living during the patriarchal age now? No. Correct. Was the book of Lamentations written by Jeremiah? Yes. Yes. Do the first four books of the New Testament tell us of Christ? Yes. Is Jonah often called the Messianic prophecy because he prophesies the coming of Christ more than any other? Who was it? Isaiah. Were there only three books of Jewish history? No. Do the 21 epistles of the New Testament tell Christians how to live? Yes. Do Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy tell us about the law of Moses? Yes. Did Paul write the book of Psalms? No. no. Can a person find out how to become a Christian by reading the New Testament? Yes. yes. Is the story of the establishment of Christ's church found in the book of Second Chronicles? No. Now, you didn't think we were going to get through that.